Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. I want to bring a word to you today that I think is going to encourage you. I want to call this message the great substitution. The great substitution. I begin to think about substitutes. One of the first examples that came to my mind was substitute teachers. How many of you remember being in school, going to class, and seeing a substitute teacher? Yeah, that was a great feeling, wasn't it? You know, you kind of knew that those substitutes, they, they didn't really know what was going on until so you're thinking, oh, we're going to have some fun today. I know some of you moms and dads that have been homeschooling, you are the substitute and you're ready to get those kids back to school. I love that. See, that substitute was good. Sometimes the substitute is good. Sometimes it's not so good. Um, I remember there were days that my mom would, would come home from the grocery store. Did your mom ever buy some generic brand soft drinks? trying to save a little money, come on, go to the store, and it looks like it, it's supposed to taste like it, but bring it home, say, Mom, I'm thirsty, can, can you give me a little Mountain Dew? That was my favorite drink, I love Mountain Dew. So she'd put a little something in a glass and give it to you, here's your Mountain Dew, son. <laughs> Mama, that, I don't know what that is. Mountain Lightning, how many know Mountain Lightning is not Mountain Dew? Come on now, if you want a Dr. Pepper, don't give me Dr. Thunder, all right? You, you got the wrong doctor in the house. Man, Coca-Cola is not Czech Cola. All right, mama, I love you, but that was not a a great substitute. Sometimes you just got to have the real thing. Uh, You know, one of the substitutes I like is when you go to a restaurant and they allow you to sub out some sides. You know, hey, don't don't give me the side salad. Give me something extra. Uh, I like going to Cane's. You roll through the drive-thru and you're like, hey, no slaw, extra toast. Come on, that's a great substitution. Can I have a good amen? Some of you that, that played sports, I, mean, I grew up playing basketball my whole life, and man, I did not, And when I was in a game, I did not want to get subbed out. I would never look at the scores table. If somebody was coming into the game, I wanted them to be checking for somebody else, not me. You know, I didn't like that substitution, but now sometimes when I play pickup basketball, now that I'm older, I'll go down the court one time, <laughs> I'm calling for a sub. Hey, can somebody come get my number? I just realized the older I get, the more I appreciate oxygen. Come on, can I have a good amen? Amen. The great substitution, you know, this passion narrative and the story of Jesus in these final days and his moments here on earth, it's filled with so many different players. So many different people are involved. You see the, the, the Roman guards and how brutal they were in their torture and torment of Christ. Uh, you see Pontius Pilate, he was the Roman governor, but really he was a political pawn. There was craziness happening in that region. You, you see the disciples, they, they doubted, they denied, they betrayed. All of them were afraid. You see the crowds. You know, the crowds that shouted Hosanna one weekend, and then another crowd saying, crucify him the next. There's all different kinds of players in this passion narrative, but there's one that's seemingly insignificant. But I want to examine his life and his role and show you how important it is to us today. I want to talk to you about Barabbas. Barabbas. And Barabbas was involved in one of the greatest substitutions known to man. Now, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them write about this experience. And all four of them contribute different things. But yet, each one of these gospel writers speaks of Barabbas. 
I wonder why that is. It's seemingly insignificant, but yet all four writers feel like it's so important to include him. And here's one of the things I think why. Because Barabbas represents you. Barabbas represents me. In this story, we're going to see that Barabbas is all of us. Read with me in Matthew chapter 27, starting with verse 15. The Bible says, Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Now, I want you to get this picture here. Jesus is on trial, and Pilate, the Roman governor, stands before this angry mob, and he presents two men before them. Now, there's this comparison, almost this juxtaposition. You like that? That's a big word. I had to look that up to see what it meant. I heard one of these smart preachers use it the other day. I thought, I want to talk like that. Juxtaposition is simply this comparison. When you set things side by side and you look at the qualities and you begin to extract different things, I want you to see what happens when we put Jesus next to Barabbas. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus was bound so that we could be free. Jesus was bound so that you and I could be free. We see this bondage and freedom side by side. Now, let me give you a quick history. At this time, Israel was a hot mess. And Pilate, the Roman governor, his responsibility was to keep the peace. And he wasn't doing a very good job of it. Things were getting crazy and out of hand, both politically and religiously. This was a powder keg about to erupt. And so Pilate does this. Basically, it was a public relations move. Every year at Passover, he would release a Jewish prisoner back into the population. And so he brings these two men before the crowd. And he, he, in his mind, he's thinking, surely they'll release Jesus. And notice he says, the Bible says that, that Barabbas was a prisoner, a notorious prisoner. Here we see Jesus, the Son of God, in chains. And these two men that are bound, but only one man, only one man can bring freedom. You know, I thought about this. Barabbas, in this moment, he probably thinks that his fate is in the hands of Pilate. Or maybe in the hands of the people. Pilate has the opportunity to set me free. Or the will of the people. They love me so much. My future is in their hands. When really the truth was. Barabbas's future was in the hands of the man right next to him. The hands that would eventually be pierced with nails. You see, Jesus became a prisoner. He, he became captive in chains so that you and I could be set free. Uh, had Jesus freed himself, Barabbas would have been condemned to death. You know, Jesus had so many opportunities, so many exit ramps. He could have easily dismissed the whole thing and, and said, you know what? I don't want any part of this. But he stands there in chains and in silence so that Barabbas could be set free. You know, I, I thought about the, the times that we live in. Bondage comes in all different shapes and sizes. You know, bondage, sometimes it looks like fear. 
Some people are are held captive to fear and anxiety. Uh, Some of us are bound by worry and stress. You know, depression comes in and can rest on you and just make you feel shackled and in chains. Sometimes there are addictions, addictions to pain pills or, or porn. You know, everything in this world is designed to keep you bound. And the truth is this, we can't set ourselves free. Just like Barabbas stood in front of that crowd, the only person in that place that could truly set him free was the man next to him. You see, Pilate could release him and give Barabbas freedom for a moment, but only Jesus could set him free and make him free for the rest of his life. You know, I begin to think, I wonder, and the Bible doesn't tell us how long Barabbas had spent in prison, but I wonder how many thoughts he had of escape. I want you to consider this. I mean, day after day, week after week, I wonder, did he ever have plans to to just break out of there? Surely he had friends on the outside. I mean, he got in trouble, but he wasn't alone. Uh, I wonder what would have happened had he escaped momentarily. He would have freedom in the moment, but he would always be looking over his shoulder. You see, the Bible tells us in John chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus says, therefore, if the Son makes you free... You will be free indeed. Come on, somebody say free indeed. I love that. You say, well, Mike, what's the difference between free and free indeed? Isn't free good enough? Well, let me ask you this. If Barabbas had escaped, he would have been free. But would he have been free indeed? Would he have constantly been looking over his shoulder, wondering if his past would catch up with him? You see, God, he wants to set us free, not just for a moment, but for the rest of our lives. God doesn't want you living like an escaped convict. Come on, somebody. He wants to set you free in your heart, in your mind, in your relationships. You see, that's the difference between free and free indeed. You see, Barabbas stood there bound, and he couldn't set himself free. And sometimes when we fight bondages like fear and worry and stress and alcoholism and drug addiction and sexual addictions, we want to be free, but we don't know how. You see, the answer to freedom was right there next to him. Jesus became bound so that Barabbas could eventually be free. Barabbas needed a substitute. Barabbas needed somebody to do for him what he couldn't do for himself. Look at what it says in verse 21. So then Pilate, you know, it's interesting. The Bible says that Pilate's wife has this dream. And and in her dream, she sees the innocence of Jesus. And so she goes to to, to Pilate and says, hey, leave this innocent man alone. She was troubled. God gave her a dream. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. He knew that the angry mob and the religious leaders were just jealous going after Jesus. But look at what it says in verse 21. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? And the crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, well, then what should I do with Jesus, who's called the Messiah? They shouted back, crucify him. And Pilate, trying to reason with them, he says, well, why? Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. You see, not only was Jesus bound so that we could be set free, but I want you to consider this. Jesus was declared guilty so that you and I could be 
innocent. Jesus was declared guilty. Pilate's trying to understand what crime has he committed. He sees the innocence of this man from Nazareth. And he does everything within his power to release him. But the angry mob says, no, crucify him. Laying guilt upon an innocent man. Now, why in the world, if you had a choice... I mean, consider Barabbas. Who was he? What was this man about? The Bible says not only was he a prisoner, but he was a notorious prisoner. That means he was well known for being bad. This dude was a bad guy, and he was good at being bad. Come on, how many of you remember back in the day before you came to know Jesus? You were bad, and you were good at it. Yeah, this guy, Barabbas, he was a criminal. The Bible says he was a thief. He was a murderer. He was an insurrectionist. That means he would rouse up rebellion against the government and just create trouble. I thought, you know, this is not the kind of guy that you would nominate to be the president of the PTA, you know. I mean, he's not your homeowners association kind of guy. You definitely don't want a guy like this on the loose. And yet here he is about to be released back into the population. You know, Scripture tells us that, that he was rebellious and he was a ringleader. He had other people doing what he did. In fact, it's interesting to note that the language the Bible uses to describe Barabbas is the exact same language that it uses to describe the two thieves on the cross that Jesus was crucified in between. The exact same Greek words. Some scholars think that these two thieves crucified on the cross were a part of Barabbas's group, that they were a part of his gang. I mean, think of it. On this day, before this crowd, those three crosses, two of his buddies on either side, and that cross in the middle, it should have been his. That cross had his name on it. It was intended for Barabbas, and yet here the innocence of heaven is standing right next to him, about to take the fall. You know, I want you to consider that, you know, Jesus and his time here on earth, Jesus borrowed just about everything that he had while here on earth. I mean, consider the way he was born. He was born in a stable with a bunch of farm animals. You know why? Because there was no room in the inn. They had to borrow a place. He had to borrow a home, a place to rest his head. He had to borrow boats to preach out of. He had to borrow a donkey to ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He had to borrow a room for the Last Supper that he would spend with his disciples. I mean, even the tomb that he would be buried in did not belong to him. It was borrowed. Here, Jesus, who owns everything, has nothing. He created it all, yet possesses nothing, not even the cross that he's about to die on. That cross was not for Jesus. It was meant for Barabbas. But yet there was this great substitution. Oh, I, I love this. You see the innocence of heaven stepping into the brokenness of man and God saying, I'll take your place. You see, that cross belonged to Barabbas. And you know what the truth is? That cross belongs to us too. That was meant for me. It was meant for you. You say, wait a second, pastor. You're comparing me to a criminal? I've never killed anybody. I've never spent any time in jail. I know you're describing Barabbas, but that's not me. 
it's kind of like the guy who prayed. He said, Lord, Lord, people are lying about me. They're slandering me, God. Do something. And God said, well, don't worry, my child. The truth about you is far worse. You know, sometimes we, we look at ourselves and we think that we're better than what we really are when the truth is that all sin separates us from God. You know, the Bible says in Romans 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, how good do you have to be to get into heaven? I don't know, but my good is never good enough. Uh, my, my works could never earn me access into the glory and splendor of heaven. Somebody has to take my place. You know, I thought about when I was young, I thought about the time I was in the second grade. Some of you still remember your second grade teacher. I love Miss Yunt, Mrs. Rita Yunt. She was my second grade teacher, and I was the teacher's pet. Now, I don't know how you feel about teacher's pets. Uh, I was that guy. She loved me. I mean, I got to run all the errands for her, any little thing that she needed done. She'd always choose me to do it. I sat right up there next to Miss Yunt. And, uh, and so she had to step out of the class one day, and she said, Mike, would you go ahead and just monitor the class while I step out in the hallway for a few minutes? I was like, yeah, baby, of course I will. So I took out my little sheet of paper and had my pen, and I was ready to write down the names of everybody who misbehaved. How many of you are not liking me already? <laughs> yeah, I'm that guy, okay? How many thinks it's a mistake to put a second grader in charge of a second grade class? Yeah, so she stepped outside, and of course, the longer she stayed away, the more restless the, the kids became. And so people started getting up and talking, and, you know, spitballs started flying, and, you know, we just kind of, we were second graders. I'm writing down names, okay, I see that, I see that, I got my list, Finally, I just got tired of being the class monitor. I wanted to have some fun too. So I put down my pen, put down my paper. I stood up in my chair. I started doing some stuff. It was just silly, okay? Just totally inappropriate, just second grade shenanigans, okay? So I'm being silly, goofy, and kind of stirring stuff up. And while I sat down, well, my friend next to me, his name was David. David stood up in his chair and did the exact same thing I was doing. Only at this time, Miss Yant walked back into the room at the exact time he's up in his chair. Oh, guess what? I had to write David's name down on the list. David had misbehaved. I saw that David teacher saw it too. David got ushered out into the hallway. And I'm like, oh no, oh no, this could be bad. Well, a few minutes later, Miss Yant said, Mike, I need to see you out here too. And so now I'm out in the hallway with my second grade teacher and one of my friends. And she said, Mike, David told me that the reason why he was standing in his chair doing whatever it was he was doing is because he had seen you do the exact same thing right before. Is that true? And I looked at David and I looked at Miss Yunt and I said, no, ma'am. I have no idea what he's talking about. No way. That did not happen. She said, you know what? I thought so. Won't you go ahead and go back into class? Can I tell you, I just straight up lied to my teacher. Miss Yunt, if you're watching this, I apologize. Man, I owe you. I need to look you up on Facebook and just tell you the truth. I'm coming clean right now. But you know what is interesting? Later that day, when we all go, we went out to recess, I was on the playground, and yet David had to stay back and write lines. And something on the inside of me just disagreed with what I had done. Listen, I committed the crime, 
but David was doing the time. He was taking upon himself my punishment, and I just couldn't take it. And you know, the truth is this. In life, God, through Jesus, took all of our sins upon himself. You know what? Jesus was totally innocent, but the guilt of our actions, all of our selfishness, our greed, our pride, our self-centeredness, all of that was laid upon Jesus. He became guilty so that you and I could walk into innocence. Isn't that amazing? What a substitution. Barabbas couldn't cleanse himself. His guilt was too deep. He needed a substitute. Jesus became that substitute. Now let, let's finish this together. Look at, look at verse 24. The Bible says, finally, Pilate, Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and he washed his hands before the crowd saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for his death. We and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them and he ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Here's the final thing I want to give you. Not only did Jesus take upon himself bondage so that we could be free, not only was he declared guilty so that we could be innocent, but I want you to see how Jesus became sin so that you and I could become sons and daughters of God. You know what's interesting about the name Barabbas? I want you to consider this. Barabbas is actually the combination of two words, Bar and Abba. Bar means son of. And of course, we know that Abba means father. Son, literally son of the father. Barabbas means son of the father. Interesting how the gospel hinges on this one man. The entire salvation story is wrapped up in this great substitution of how Jesus came in and took Barabbas' place, the son of the father. Wait, wait, isn't that who Jesus is? Wait a second, God, you... This is a case of mistaken identity. Surely you, you've gotten it wrong here. And yet in this injustice, we see salvation. Consider this. A guilty man is released. An innocent man is condemned. And the most catastrophic injustice the world has ever seen has become the method of salvation for all of us. God, how could you do it? How could you treat your son like an enemy and treat your enemy like a son? You see, that's the great exchange. And I don't understand it. Some of you parents, I mean, you've got children. You know how much you love your children. I've got a son. I, I couldn't imagine offering my son to be treated like this, knowing his innocence. Uh, God, where's the justice in this? And yet God, through Jesus, took upon our worst to give us heaven's best. That's the greatest substitution the world could ever know. You know, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
Amazing how God didn't just take our sin from us, but he attached it to his son, Jesus. Jesus became sin so that you and I could become sons. We could be family, not based upon our merit, not based on anything we could do or achieve or earn, but simply by God's mercy and by his grace. Jesus would go to the cross and he would die a brutal death. They would bury him in a tomb. But three days later, Jesus would rise again. You know, we serve a God who has the ability to turn a crucifixion into a resurrection. What seemed like all hope was lost, God can come down and rescue and redeem. Listen, if God can raise a dead body, then God can raise a dead marriage. God can raise up a dead relationship. God can resurrect a dead dream. God can raise up a dead soul. Maybe some of you feel like you are dead on the inside and that your hope has been buried. Can I tell you, the message of Easter today is Jesus came to us in all of our worst and he brings us heaven's best. There is hope today and hope has a name and his name is Jesus. But the question for all of us is just what Pilate asked this crowd what to do with this man. What do I do with this man? What do I do with Jesus? And you know what? 2,000 years later, that's the question each one of us need to answer today. What are we going to do with Jesus? Oh, he was a great prophet. He was a good teacher. Well, he's got to be a little bit more than that. He's got to be the son of God that takes away the sins of the world. Some of you watching right now, you say, you know what, pastor? I I just can't keep doing life like this. Some of you are in that deep, dark place. Some of you are in chains. Some of you feel bound. Maybe you're in bondage and you're struggling to get free. You want to be released. You just don't know how to do it. You say, Mike, I I can't keep living this way. I need help. Can I tell you? There's a substitute. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, tag me in. Put me in the game. Invite me into the the play field of your life. I promise you the score will change if that substitute comes in. If you'll just surrender to him. I'm not saying Jesus makes all things easy. But I'm telling you this. With Jesus, all things can become good. He can take even the worst thing that's happened to you and turn it into the best thing for you. Here's what I want to do right now. Right there in your, in your homes, with your families, or maybe you're watching with a friend, or even by yourself. I want you to create some space, just you and the Lord. And I want to invite you to tag Jesus into your life. There needs to be an exchange. Lord, I've done the best I can do. I've done all I know to do. God, I'm trusting you. There is a substitute that can step into your world and change your life. Here's what I asked you to do right now. If you would, just place your hand over your heart. Because this is not about a uh, head knowledge. Some of us have a lot of knowledge and awareness of who Jesus is. But you need revelation in your own soul. I want you to pray this prayer after me. Come on, let's all say this. Um, Across all of the social media platforms and uh, those of you that are watching by TV, would you say this right now? Say, dear Jesus, I love you. And I need you to come into my life. 
my life is a mess. And Lord, I can't clean up what I've messed up. I need your help. Would you do for me what you did for Barabbas so many years ago? Lord, these chains that hold me back, Father, I ask that you set me free. Lord, the guilt that I've been carrying, God, replace it with innocence. Lord, the sins that I've committed, Lord, would you make me a son? Make me a daughter. Bring me into your family. I confess Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. And I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. So right now, according to your word, I am your child. I belong to you. I am yours. And you are mine. From this day forward, I'm going to live for you and serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.